My favorite moment. My own journey. The best day of class. And it was just such an amazing experience. Thus we get to know each other. It set me on a path. It really sparked something inside of me. Drive a love for. Seeing the professor. That's like really all I want to do. Become a better me. This is the coolest thing ever. That I really enjoyed about St. Rose. Hi, neighbor. Happy spring. Happy spring to you, too. I am so glad you could come over today. I know it's the middle of your sabbatical. You're just getting over a cold, but you are here to keep our conversation going. I really appreciate that we can get together to talk about our teaching. Of course. These conversations are so worth it. And it's really valuable to pass ideas back and forth and find better and better ways to connect with our students in the classroom. 100%. Today, I'm really excited because we have a few neighbors who are going to let us take a glimpse inside their classrooms and see how they set the stage for important conversations about race. Yeah, and I have a feeling these conversations are going to be so dense and full of good practices for discussing race that we may need to stretch them out for the next two episodes. I'm on board for that. Shall we get the conversation started? Let's do it. Welcome, listeners, and thank you for tuning back in to Dear Neighbor. I'm Liz Richards, here with my co-host, Emily Pinkerton. If you tuned into our first two episodes, you already know what we're about. We invite faculty, students, and administrators to sit down and have unscripted conversations about teaching, learning, and our college community here at St. Rose. Two episodes ago, we explored how professors and students work together to create a sense of welcome in the classroom. Today, we want to step further into this topic by talking with folks who use anti-racist teaching tools in their course design. To kick things off, I'd like to return to our conversation from last semester with Jada, a senior communications major, because she had a lot to say from a student perspective on why it's so critical to support conversations about race on campus and how an experience with the student group Alana early in her time at St. Rose was crucial to making such conversations productive. That sounds like a great plan. Let's give a warm welcome back to Jada. Alana, it's Diversity Leadership Mentorship Group that was on campus. Stands for African, Latina, Asian, and Native American. What it provides for students is that it allows you to move on on campus for the first three days before orientation, before week of welcome, and get integrated into St. Rose culture and St. Rose campus. You are paired up with an upperclassman mentor. This could be somebody who's within your major or somebody who you have similar interest with. And the whole purpose of the group is to encourage students to step out of their bubble and to meet new people. Alana is so important, not only for those who join, who choose to be a part of it, but I think for the campus in general, because it really gives students a safe space, a designated safe spot, and a place where they can be themselves and learn about other people. Um, With this mentorship relationship that you get as soon as you get on campus, you have somebody who's going to guide you throughout your first year of college, which is very scary and intimidating. There's a lot that you don't know, and people come from all sorts of areas. So for me, I came from Queens, and I came from a predominantly Black neighborhood. 
And I tell this to everybody. My very first perception of Albany is that I thought it was a farmland. I thought it was foreign and filled <laughs> with white people. I thought I was going to a PWI. So I was really just kind of embracing myself for not only just a very large culture shock, but also um, I was very scared and wary of any sorts of discrimination. And with Alana, not only were I able to find other people who were from the city, but people who were from upstate New York, people from Connecticut, international students. And it really just opened my eyes and also made me see myself within them, people who were coming from a very different environment to this place. And through that, we were able to grow and have a positive relationship with one another and also express things throughout the semester. So we had our leadership development meetings, we talk about, okay, in what ways can we make this space even better? So that's why it's so, so important. I feel like I would not be who I am without that program. It's diversified my thinking. It's made me a little bit more open-minded and very mindful of the people around me, even people who I'm not necessarily close with. You mentioned that when you first got to St. Rose, you thought it was a PWI, predominantly white institution. Do you still feel like St. Rose is a PWI? That is such an interesting question because people who don't go here always ask me that. And I feel like this is a lot more diverse a community than PWIs. I have friends who go to predominantly white institutions and they find themselves to be the only student of color in their class. When I haven't had that experience, though, depending on the department as a communication student, it is a little bit different. Somebody who's maybe like a nursing student in the math and science building might have a different experience. But from my perspective, what makes St. Rose really good is that we have a large, diverse community. You also had mentioned that being in Alana helped you become more open-minded. And I'm wondering if you could just talk about what that means. When I say Alana has made me more open-minded, it's kind of just encouraged me to not only talk about my own experiences, but listen to others, understand their perspective, and see how they see me, see how they understand my own situations. With St. Rose, there's a bunch of students who come from all over, not only um, New York State. So I've been able to learn about how they've addressed things, how they feel about situations on campus. And it's kind of opened my mind in a sense of, okay, maybe I haven't thought about it like that, or this is how something's been addressed. Maybe this is a different way that I can address it. This is a way that I can welcome students and be more open and honest with them rather than just having an ear. In different ways, that's kind of how it's made me a lot more open-minded because now I have many people who are sharing not only similar experiences to me, but from different perspectives. Everybody's situation is very, very different. And learning about that, I kind of take it and I apply it to my own thinking. Whenever I see something in a community that disappoints me or something that 
excites me too. It reminds me of people who I've worked with. The whole premise of Alana is bringing people from all sorts of groups. So not only people of color, but white people as well. And through that, not only are we talking about leadership and ways that we can implement ourselves into campus, into society, but also ways that we can make our environment better, ways that we can combat against discrimination, ways that we can be a helping hand to somebody who looks like you or who doesn't look like you. And I think that program really encompasses compassion and working together and leadership that helps combat racism and discrimination in the community. And it starts with the community that we are present in. It would start with St. Rose which is why I think that program is just so, so important. So last episode, we heard from Jada about places on campus that played a part in her development. But I really appreciated hearing in more detail how Alana specifically was integral to her growth as a person and as a student. And I'm so glad to hear that she found a community that was a safe space for her from her first moment on campus. I'd love to hear from more students about how their arrival to campus went, what worked for them in terms of finding a place, and what's not working too. How can we keep improving? Yeah, like I said in our last episode, Jada truly embodies the St. Rose mission as a critical thinker who is a productive, motivated, and caring citizen. I think there's some more caring citizens at the door. (laughs) Let's invite them in for the next conversation. Let's do it. I'm Angela Ledford. I am a professor of political theory at the College of St. Rose, and I teach courses in democratic theory, feminist theory, race and mass incarceration, political ideologies, social movements, and collective violence. I'm really excited to be having this conversation with Brianna and Mark. They are both political science majors. They were also both the two folks that we sent to the New York State Assembly internship last year. And um, I'm really excited to uh, share this conversation with them. Hi, everyone. I'm Brianna Casterly. I just graduated from St. Rose back in December. Now I'm the executive assistant for Assemblywoman Sarah Clark following my assembly internship that I did last year. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Mark Eman, as Professor Ledford said. I'm a political science major. I'm a senior here at the College of St. Rose and will be graduating in May. Do you find that having the smaller class size and having a smaller campus community that you're more likely to know your peers in the class and does that help because you sort of have to to have these conversations there has to be a certain level of trust not just you with me but you with each other I do think the size of the classroom helps it builds a trust with with you being the the professor right kind of like the the moderator the facilitator of the conversations that we have and then it also builds a trust between the the classmates and the people in the classroom and again this the I guess the nature of this trust is that we're taking this class together and so to a certain degree we should have a level of comfort between each other where we can share our opinions exchange these opinions and debate over them if we have to and that is definitely something i think would be lost if 
the size of the classroom had been expanded. So that intimacy is important because as much as it is an academic conversation, it's also a very personal conversation. So yeah, I think you just want to feel as though you're in a space where you won't be castigated for your views, I suppose. Right. Yeah. That, that And that's one of the ways you build it up by really listening to your students and finding ways, even when it's all touchy, right? <laughs> in one way or another, but also finding ways to tease out the really important elements of that contribution. Yeah. One of the things that's come up that I always find to be a central aspect of teaching about a lot of things, but particularly race, is this way of finding a balance between personal experience, which is important, and you're bringing those things, you know, to the table and their relevance because you're taking in this information and you're also at the same time thinking, how does this affect me or how am I complicit with this? But this balance between personal experience and structures. You know, I think one of the things about creating a classroom environment where we can talk about these things, which are really can be very difficult to talk about is to remind folks that, especially the white ones, right? This isn't about you. I mean, it is, but it's not at the same time, right? You want to think about, you know, how your own privilege and your own complicity with systems, you know, needs to be questioned. The intention is not to make white people feel bad. Like this isn't about you. We need to talk about systems of oppression and how to begin to see them so that you can begin to dismantle them in some kind of important way. I think you struck on why those conversations are so difficult to address. It's because we're addressing the privilege, the privilege that these systems afford for certain people and excludes for others. And when we're kind of looking at that, that's always an uncomfortable conversation. When you're looking at a system and trying to dismantle it and looking at what aspects of privilege are continued within these systems and how to like stop that, it it really is a hard thing for people to depersonalize because we're trying to become educated in these settings to obtain a certain level of privilege within society. So kind of stepping back and, you know, not only not getting personal about it, but not being offended by the thought of privilege, not Mm -hmm. internalizing that is what makes it so uncomfortable for, you know, white students and white passing students like myself. I do think another uh, reason that people are, you know, white people especially are very uncomfortable with the conversation around race is because it's sort of this very giant phenomenon that also acts very subtly. So a white person may say to themselves that, oh, you know, I've never said anything derogatory or offensive towards a black person. I see all people as equal. So what is this conversation we're having about um, race and how white people are all inherently racist or how they, you know, have white privilege? And the thing is to, as you say, right, depersonalize it. And it may be difficult to find concrete examples in one's personal life. But I think when you kind of zoom out and take a microscopic view of everything, then you can kind of sort of see what is playing out. So it's far more visible at the microscopic level, I think. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's it's um, it's it's challenging. And it's inevitable that it is personal to some degree. I don't find it easy. And every class has a different personality. And so I think that finding a way to balance that emphasis between the personal and the structural, well, I think it's probably a lifelong endeavor. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know, you know, so we do as, as best we can in the classroom, but then I think we keep going, going forward with that. So you're both already addressing this, but maybe you can unpack a little bit more why having these conversations is so hard. You know, I think the discomfort across campus about, you know, general racial topics has only been emphasized by the current political situations that we're living in right now. You know, between the pandemic and everything that's happened during the pandemic, we're realizing that a lot of structural inequalities are certainly race-based. It's undeniable at this point. Mm -hmm. And I think whiteness on campus has been exposed throughout projects like Black at St. Rose prior. One of my friends just did a research project about kind of whiteness on campus and their experience as a Black woman Mm -hmm. on this campus. And let me tell you, it wasn't necessarily positive. You know, we are learning about racial justice, but we need to have the hard conversations when it comes to dismantling your own personal privilege. So I think the diversity aspect of our campus and encouraging more students of color to, you know, pursue white majority fields like political science Mm -hmm. helps advance diverse perspectives. I I think that's really what helps kind of advancing white consciousness throughout campus, have it be more progressive, but we we still have a lot of work to do. And a lot of that racial justice work, apart from learning about the systems, apart from learning about how capitalism impacts race and how race capitalism impacts our lives in the broader systemic way. There's still problems of personal bias and microaggressions. Coming to an understanding of what constitutes a microaggression and where it comes from, you also have to be able to analyze history and institutions, right? So those things kind of have to go together in order to recognize what's happening. But, you know, at least in terms of the kind of learning environment and when it comes to race, where I sort of pitch the course between the individual and the structural definitely leans way, way much more towards the structural, because as we've talked about many times, racism and structural racism are not really about attitudes, even though racialized attitudes contribute to it, you know, so it's like all day long, we could talk about trying to change people's minds about race, but that's not going to change the structures that reinscribe those categories over and over again. Right, definitely. And I, I think that is sort of something that's being conflated now, this, you know, these two separate ideas of structural racism on the one end, and then um, personalized racism on the other. And I think, right, the boundary between them is kind of undefined. And so you had to have a lot of like cross-section interaction or um, conflation of those of those things and so you know a lot of our I think a lot of the discussions I've had especially with other students around racism is more about its personal implications than its more structural implications you know and I, and I wonder whether we can sort of deal with like the personal effects of racism without first having to deal with its structural effects so for me it makes sense to first I think deal with tackle challenge structural racism and then you'll have a trickle down effect where you will see less personalized racism. I don't know if that makes sense, what I'm trying to suggest. Yeah, I really feel like kind of looking at um, systems of oppression within the classroom and processing it through personal experiences and personal biases that we've encountered, whether it be in our personal lives, on campus, in our professional lives, etc. That is how we kind of process information, especially when it is so active in our day-to-day lives. You know, although there is a disconnect between systemic oppression 
aggression and microaggressions. They're still one and the same and very much interconnected in a way. So with the conversations that kind of happen out of the classroom about race, you know, they're very much informed by the current political moment that we're living in. This group really gets at why these conversations can feel so fraught and so difficult, but they are also demonstrating productive ways to make them happen. Right. These conversations are not easy, but that's part of the learning. That's part of the growth is that you are sitting in discomfort and you are being brought to and you are working towards a greater truth. But that greater truth and that process is really helped by having a sense of trust in the classroom, trusting your classmates, um, trusting your instructor. Yeah, trusting your instructor and their commitment to solid pedagogy is essential. And let students have these conversations in the classroom and then beyond. Exactly, yeah, because it's a lifelong process. Yeah, lifelong endeavor, like Angela said. Yep. Hey, there are more neighbors at the door. Oh, and as we're about to hear, conversations about race don't have to be limited to courses about systemic racism. Hello, I am Jennifer Marlowe. I am a professor in the English department here at the College of St. Rose, and I coordinate the first year writing program. And it was in our English 105 class that I first met Hannah. Hi, I'm Hannah. Um, I was a student in Professor Marlowe's class. I am a freshman forensic science major with a concentration in chemistry and a minor in computer science. And I really found Professor Marlowe's class very interesting. And it just expanded my mind and my perspectives on the world in a different way. And I really appreciated that. She taught a very good class. Well, thank you. You were a very good student. (laughs) (laughs) I loved the readings that you sent out because they were just so different. There was just so many. So it just gave me a different perspective. Um, So just to give a little bit of information about the course and the kind of pedagogical approach that the course took and and continues to take, it really came out of doing this kind of work on anti-racist pedagogy that actually I had started with a professional development series for for faculty on campus called Provisions years ago. And so we had started to do this work at really thinking about how we bring, you know, anti-racist pedagogies into the classroom. And I had kind of overlooked first year writing in all of that because the focus is on writing. And so in some ways that didn't seem like a natural match in my head, at least for thinking about anti-racist practices or topics related to racism. And part of that came from a lack of scholarship in the field of writing studies. So the field of writing studies has had a whiteness problem for a very long time, and that is it has primarily highlighted its white scholars. And so I didn't really have access to thinking about how this course would work in these particular ways until finally I met a scholar in in rhetoric and composition named Iris Ruiz, who made me really see that I needed to rethink 
my course and that meant everything about it. The readings that I assigned were primarily by white scholars and writers and the scholarship that informed my course was entirely by white scholars in the field of writing studies. And so I needed to become familiar with folks like Vrishana Shanti Young, who we read in class last semester and, you know, Iris Ruiz's work and bringing in a more diverse array of of writers for for all of you to read. But one of the tricks that I learned from Iris was doing it in kind of units. So doing a unit on gender and then class and then race, and then kind of looking at the intersections of those. Last semester when you took the class, that was only the second semester that I had taught the class in that particular way. And her reasoning for that was that oftentimes, at least for for your generation, talking about gender and issues around gender and sexuality are much more accessible than talking about issues related to race, which tend to be much more kind of hot button or can can be more contentious. And so making that kind of movement from gender to class to race and then the kind of intersectionality among them, in her mind, kind of builds the course and, and builds kind of comfort amongst the people in the course and momentum in the course and talking about issues related to, to identity that can sometimes be hard to talk about moves it in, in that kind of direction. Did it make sense to you that we were, that we were tackling these issues in a writing course or was that like what's happening here? In taking that class, especially when I was writing the papers, it it improved my ability to write because I had to write more subjectively than objectively, and I usually don't do that. So it helped me with that. And then going back and revising stuff, I was focused more on the content than I was on the grammar and the flow and all that, like... English stuff. I was more interested on adding more content and reading more because I was more interested in what we were learning. I really enjoyed it. And I think it's really important to get especially freshmen to start thinking about those topics. So taking those introductory level classes that everybody has to take anyway, why not expose us to all those different things? I mean, that's what college is supposed to be. It's supposed to expose us to all these different issues and topics and conversations that like maybe you've never had before, but it's supposed to be a time of growth. So like, why not start it as soon as we can? So I really appreciated that you brought that in. It challenged, like, I like being challenged. It makes me think, and that's really important. Like, it's not, there are certain perspectives that I can't ever understand just because I'm not coming from that perspective. I'm a white woman. Like, I will never be able to understand those perspectives. So being able to read what somebody else has written from their hearts, from their minds, from their souls, like, it's really, it's impactful. It made it really interesting, and that made me want to go to English. Talking about these things and writing about them, of course, is... I think, you know, is challenging, like you're saying, it wasn't something that necessarily worked its way into into a lot of your classes. And so one of the things that I also tried was the first time that I made this move to do the living room conversations as a kind of bridge as we move towards the researched essay, because I really wanted to show the movement 
that happens in writing of acknowledging a, a counter point of view and taking that argument into account, you know, when presenting your own perspective and your own, in your own claim. Living room conversations are, it's a way of structuring dialogue around any kind of contentious or, or difficult topic. Everyone's like allow, allotted a certain amount of time to, to speak and you go in rounds. And so the first round is generally like introducing ourselves, where you come from, um, what you care what you care about in this world, what you're kind of invested in, your community, what are you interested in, where do you come from, questions like this, um, so that everyone shares and establishes a kind of common ground in that sense. And then from there, the next round moves into kind of questions that that address the topic in, in various ways. And then the final round is kind of a debrief or where people can go back over points that they heard made in the previous round of questions questions and ask more questions about the, you know, what they heard there or provide a counterpoint or a, a differing thought or an agreement. Given that our entire lives have become about these polarizing debates in, in society and given the, you know, challenging nature of talking about race and gender and in, in class, I thought that the living room conversations would be a good way to open up that space to have honest dialogue, but also do it in a way that's structured so that everyone feels safe and able to, to talk. I liked the living room conversations. I didn't know pretty much any of my classmates the first day I walked in. So I was like, oh shoot, now I'm like actually gonna have to talk to them. And like, these are like not like surface level conversations. These are like sixth layer of the onion, like what you stand for, like, uh oh, <laughs> was what was my first thought. Cause I was like, okay, like you can kind of say what you want in a debate. So I was like, okay, I've done debates before. They didn't go so well because, you know, it's class and they are very polarizing and somebody always leaves angry girl but the living room conversation it was more like I was gonna say something and I think being on zoom it made me feel like I didn't have to watch the other person like react to what I was saying so I kind of felt almost freer to really say what I wanted the one that stood out to me most was the one on race and ethnicity and that was specifically because we had a lot of people from other countries in our class so I think there was somebody from Albania there was somebody from uh, New Guinea and there was somebody from Romania there was just there were so many different people it was definitely interesting to hear those perspectives like I've never I've never been out of the country so I can't imagine what it's like to live somewhere else hearing their stories about coming here to this country and how people treat them or how like they try and do certain things like or the things that don't happen in their country that happen here like it's really interesting sometimes it was disheartening and sometimes it was like oh they do that in other countries that's really interesting and I wonder why they don't do that here it definitely gave me more to think about every time I left a living room conversation I left with food for thought so it was really nice to just get to hear other people's like thoughts and opinions because it's it's not a conversation you usually have over dinner. Like it's, it's a tough conversation. And, and I think more people would benefit from having those types of conversation to give everybody more of a sense of understanding on like what people's backgrounds are and like sometimes how biased we can be without realizing that we're biased. You know, you're right. I mean, that's, the whole idea of utilizing the living room conversation kind of fits in with this pedagogy of of how we how we talk about race and and one of the ways is like you're saying to you know establish understanding of 
where someone else's beliefs or perspective may come from, even if that, you know, belief or perspective seems very different or antithetical to our own, just knowing that there's some kind of history behind it and that we have our own history, you know, by behind our own personal belief starts to create, which is that first round, right? Creating this kind of um, common, and common ground doesn't mean that we're all the same, but common ground simply means that we all have these historical, you know, we all have this baggage in some way, these, the, the way that we've grown up has influenced our, our beliefs and the way we think about certain things. Um, and knowing that about each other kind of puts us in, in this similar context in which to share. And so, yeah, I think you're right some of those opening questions yeah like what do you care about in terms of of your community you know I don't always have access to to that perspective you know except except through my students which which I love because then I I learn so much I like the sound of those living room conversations. It seems like those could work in so many contexts where tension is present. I agree. And I was really inspired by the care that Jen took to think about the trajectory of the class and prepare people step by step, stage by stage for the hardest conversations. And Hannah just seems so absolutely engaged with the issues and became a better writer because of that engagement. Yeah. And as we've heard in all these conversations now, regardless of major, regardless of role on campus, conversations about race are necessary and helpful. Yes, they are. Next time on Dear Neighbor, when anti-racist pedagogy meets assessment methods. I would love to see more faculty get involved in anti-racist efforts. It just shows, okay, that they are taking this seriously. These practices are more equitable and more inclusive to larger and more diverse groups of students and, and take into account different types of learners even. And my goal is to have you learning. For Dear Neighbor on campus, we would love to hear from you about why conversations on race matter. Have a comment about this episode or want to hear something in a future episode? Drop us a note at www.stros.edu backslash dear hyphen neighbor and scroll to the submission form at the bottom of the screen. Or send us an email or voice memo at dearneighbor at stros.edu. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, dear underscore neighbor underscore podcast. Dear Neighbor is hosted by Liz Richards and Emily Pinkerton, who also produced the show, edited, engineered, and mixed by Christian Shear, and event and administrative support from Allie Ryder. Our theme music, entitled Sad at the Party, was composed by Michael Sanchez. Funding for Dear Neighbor is provided by the Provost's Office at the College of St. Rose. Thanks so much to our participants from this episode. In order of appearance, Jada Hart, Angela Ledford, Brianna Casserly, Mark Edom, Jen Marlowe, and Hannah Parsons. And big thanks again to you, listeners, for returning to Dear Neighbor. See you around the neighborhood.